The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodderant. Joining me today, as always, is Jake Watrova, and today we got a special guest making his Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast debut is Tom Bogert. Make sure you follow him at Tom Bogert. He covers Major League Soccer. He's written for multiple outlets, including MLSsoccer.com, The Guardian, all the big fancy soccer ones. Tom, welcome to the program. How you doing? Thanks for having me, fellas. Doing pretty good on the Sunday evening. Yes, it is January 26, 2020. We are live. And listeners, on today's episode, problems in Toronto, Chicharito is taken out of context, and top 10 players in Major League Soccer. We will also get to the Julian Gressel trade and break down a little bit of the U.S. men's national team roster. And Jake, before we even get into the thick of it, uh, a pretty heartbreaking day for the sporting world yeah we uh we lost a good one today uh we lost an all-timer we lost a goat yes we kobe did. bryant dead at the age of 41 after a helicopter crash earlier this uh this afternoon um i don't know about you guys uh kind of weird like kind of like i was a little shook after i saw that because it's it, 41 it uh 41 you grew up I, I know you two are a little bit younger than me i'm 30 uh, right. i believe you both are you know 24 um, he grew up, you know, I, I kind of watched his entire career and now he's retired and now he's dead. And that's just, that's kind of weird. So it's, it's a very weird feeling. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, condolences to his family, friends, that whole thing. Um, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I might have lost for words with, with that one. So, yeah. um, Forever, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we're going to truck on with this show, Mamba, Mamba Mentality. Yeah, I, I, I did want to add. transition next. Seamless transition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's really no way. If, if, there's, really, really, there's really no way to transition out of that. I'm not sure if you've watched the red carpet, the Grammys thing, but there's oh, watching them transition out of it is it's a train wreck. So. Train wreck. Well, I, I was just going to say, I know my generation, uh, I saw this tweet, so I'm, I'm kind of ripping it from somebody out there in the Twitter's world, but. Just we we grew up in the generation where anytime you took a shot, whether it is laundry into a basket, trash into a trash bin, or even throwing an orange into the basket at Walmart, you always sat there and in the back of your mind. You, maybe you said it out loud. You just said Kobe, and uh, yeah, that that will definitely live on. But uh, I just remember doing that. You just naturally just said Kobe anytime you took a shot. It's strange, strange how things can come and go and a flip 
of a coin uh we you know people can lose loved ones so thoughts and prayers with the the bryant family and let's move on let's let's talk about some soccer guys and uh yeah tom toronto has a very interesting storyline going on today or going on this past week you wrote it on mlssoccer.com but toronto captain michael bradley set to undergo ankle surgery following a severe injury during the 2019 MLS Cup loss to the Seattle Sounders. GM Curtis uh, Ali Curtis told the media this past week, Michael Bradley is at least or set to be out for four months. This is a big loss for Toronto. Yeah, I mean, they're losing their captain. Uh, the good news is, is at least that they're you know, well-stocked in the midfield and they have, you know, a, a number of young talent who, you know, benefit. The, the only good thing really to come from this is that, you know, Liam Frazier is going to get minutes and maybe Noble Oko is going to, you know, get some minutes in the first team. But, you know, Bradley, if he doesn't return until January, which, until June, which is reasonable, it, that would be for a little bit more than four months. So you never know exactly how long this takes. He'll miss right. exactly half of the season. So it, it's pretty tough. Yeah, it, it it puts uh, Toronto in a pickle or in a bind at least. And Jake, uh, the GM Ali Curtis had some some comments, some interesting comments regarding this situation. Yeah, Curtis was quoted as saying, "Michael is going to have surgery Tuesday in New York City. He suffered a very severe and complicated ankle injury against Seattle in MLS Cup. We didn't disclose that publicly because the details of his injury." or injuries of players, you don't necessarily disclose publicly that you're really just working with the media or medical team and working with the player to try to get them to return and uh, to play. And in Michael's case, he had an x-ray after the game in Seattle, and then we got back to Toronto. He got a, a couple of scans. So the question is really, so wh- why the delay on surgery, right? If this happened at MLS Cup, why didn't he have surgery the week following? Because it could have been very easily set up. The offseason's right in front of Michael Bradley. And the club had hoped to avoid surgery and rehab the injury. Quote, he stayed in Toronto for a tremendous part of the offseason. And we really tried to work with him on his rehab as much as possible. To try to get him to a point where he's returning to full strength. Curtis uh, said, quote, he continued, quote, Ankles are finicky. Sometimes they just tend to take longer to recover. You've got to be careful in those types of injuries. And surgery is the last resort, typically in terms of what you do. So the question really is, did Toronto mishandle the situation? What did the doctors know? What what did Toronto hope to accomplish? Because MLS Cup was about two months ago. Am I am I wrong there as far as that timeline? Oh. I'm- Probably closer to three at this point. Yeah. So three months, he could have been ready in the next six weeks, pretty much at the start of the season. So if you ask me, I, I, I don't know. Was this Bradley's decision? Was this the front office decision? Was it the medical staff at Toronto? There's a lot of question marks. And there seems to Toronto and Bradley played the situation poorly here. They, they really cost themselves half the season with with one of the better players in Major League Soccer, one of the important... He's the captain of Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just difficult to really lay down, as you said, whose decision it was. And it's just the basic understanding of 
whenever you can avoid surgery, you, you avoid surgery. So obviously the medical staff were confident that they'd be able to rehab it. And, and obviously they didn't see any, any improvement. So they, they went ahead and had surgery. So I get it. I get why Josie's mad about it. Um, Taylor Twelman said on, on ETR, on Extra Time from MLS Digital, that he, knowing what he knows about Bradley, and, and he said that he, he couldn't really say this you know, with 100% inside info, but what he knows about Bradley is that Bradley, if they said, hey, time for surgery, he would have done it immediately. And like you said, he, he wouldn't have missed that much time. But, you know, he, you never know because we're not doctors. And right, right. But if you can I, avoid surgery, avoid it. I, yeah, I guess so. I guess I, I don't talk to enough doctors to know and enough athletes to know. Obviously, surgery always sucks. It's a long rehab process. Typically, the following year, half the season, you are still trying to recover from the surgery and trying to get back to full strength. But, Jake, it just it just screws with Toronto. And to make it even more complicated, Josie Altador seems rather frustrated with the club over this handling of Michael Bradley in his ankle. Yeah, I mean, can, can, can you blame him? I mean... Well, it depends. I, I, it really depends, though. Like, I, I, first of all, on the Michael Bradley front, because I, I, I didn't get a chance to chime in here on this, like, to me, I don't understand how we couldn't have gotten to mid-December, end of December, and said, yeah, this isn't progressing very well. We need to get surgery ASAP. And now you're looking at, you know, maybe you're coming back in, in May instead of June or or, or, or July. Um so for me, it doesn't make any sense. And you look at this team last year, think of how slow of a start they got off to last year. I mean, they were, they weren't a playoff team. I don't believe it by, you know, June, by the midway point of the season. And they went on that incredible run uh, by the end of July through August and September, where I think they rattled off what 10 straight unbeaten. So to me, looking at this roster, looking at this team, I mean, looking at what, you know, Josie's comments where he's clearly frustrated with how this whole thing was handled. I kind of, I almost feel like Toronto's window is closing, if you will, and I and I think Josie may realize that and say, oh, why so are we you handling think, it this way? You think he's frustrated because he knows that this is going to set them back for half the season and make it w- much more difficult come playoff time. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, look, he's going to have surgery on his ankle. It's not going to July is not going to roll around, and Michael Bradley is going to be in game form. You know, it might take until mid-August for Michael Bradley to, assuming he comes back in middle, you know, beginning or middle of July, it might take a full month before Michael Bradley is ready to to play a full ninety and he has not knocked the rust off and he's back to himself. I mean, this is a massive deal for uh, Toronto, and I can totally see why Josie Altidore is upset about it. Okay, hold hold on, hold on. Four months would be mid-May. I, I don't know where you're getting August from. I don't. I don't know where you're getting, and then it might take another month for him to get to 100. percent Like four months from from the surgery time is mid mid May, and I even said maybe it'll take a little longer. Who knows? But, but what if it takes shorter? Like, yeah, but it's it gonna just... be fine. They have they have Josie, they have Pozuelo, they have Omar Gonzalez, they have Chris Mavinga, they have two homegrowns in central midfield, which already includes uh, Jonathan Osorio and Marky Delgado. You know, a Canadian international. And, and an MLS veteran, like, they're going to be okay. The sky's not falling. Well, the sky's not falling, but the the problem – well, here's my, my concern is I, you say you say mid-May, but if, if we're honest, it takes – it he, he could come back, he could play, but he's just not going to be the same. It takes – How do you take, know that? How do you know well, that? Because I know – well, you just look at player history with surgery. Yeah, you had J.J. Watt – who who should have uh, who had a, a, cr- a season-ending 
injury, come back in the playoffs. Yeah, you have those cases. But most cases with the ankle, just look at Gordon Hayward, the Celtics. He's not been the same since he busted his ankle. Yeah, but we don't know how we don't know what this case is with Michael Bradley. Then why? Then yeah, you're right. We don't know. Then why are you assuming that it's the worst? Because ankles have typically been one of the the hardest parts of the body to recover from, and and traditionally every athlete when they have an ankle injury, it nags them. It really if does, and you're just not the same. Injury, that, that's worse than an Achilles injury. Like, I just think that these are like a little a little reckless here. Well. Uh, d- I just think the ankle is just a very hard part of the body that that just takes more time than the given four months that doctors say he might he might be recovered at four months, but I think I think my big concern is fine. He could be on the football pitch what mid May, but is he going to be the Michael Bradley that we saw last season or what we've seen in MLS? When is that Michael Bradley going to come back out? And if you if if the argument's like well it doesn't really matter as long as you have him playoff time because Toronto have the depth to do it fine that's fine yeah i mean mean, that's generally where i lean but again like the the doctors are the four months they're baking that into you know recovery time like he's not gonna he's not gonna just step onto the training pitch in four months and then continue recovering like the timeline includes like when he's gonna be ready to play like significant minutes in in a game so i mean yeah I, i suppose a little bit but like again, it, that's May. It's not. It's not August or September. Like that's you know, He'll have at least half of the season. Now, Jake, let you chime in here before we get to a break. Uh, all I'm. I guess what I would take away from is it. It seems. You know, look, I'm not. Uh, we've said this a couple of times already in the last five, five or ten minutes. We're not doctors. Uh, to me, though, it just. This whole situation just feels like it was botched by TFC. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't see how this whole thing played out but uh ankles are tricky and look what, what okay may so we're saying may I, I still i still think you're looking at even if it comes back mid-may i think there's going to be a lot of rust for him to knock off and uh i think that could be troubling for tfc but they did it last year they put themselves on the eight ball you know mid-season last year and That's they, they, they found a way out of it so they got to almost um, up so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right, Tom, I'll give you a final word here before uh, on the situation with uh, Michael Bradley. And more importantly, with Josie Altidore, what should uh, – Hercules Gomez had a tweet, quote, hearing that as a result of Josie Altidore's public criticism of TFC's handling of Michael Bradley's ankle injury last season, the club is considering a move for the U.S. men's national team striker. Is yeah, Tor- so- Ooh, go ahead. No, I was saying, is Toronto actually going to move on from their star player? Who's going to take on that salary is the thing. Um, and Ali Curtis and, and the president, Bill Manning, have, have their public uh, view on the stands, uh, stance on the matter is that he's they're expecting him to be with the club. Like, um, I think that they're just trying to kind of let this go or whatever. But, I mean, I, I don't blame Josie for being mad. I mean, I don't blame he's always he's, he's someone who's going to voice his opinion. I respect that when athletes are, are honest. All, all we ever ask for is athletes to be honest, except for when the honesty doesn't, you know, jive with what we want to hear. And then we're saying, <laughs> oh, it'd be a distraction. Uh, should he have said that? Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get mad at somebody for being honest. But also, like, I don't – I also don't blame, like, Toronto for not being happy that he said this publicly either because this is the second time that he's, you know, criticized, like, the club, particularly the medical department. But um, I just hope that <laughs> this leads to, like – 
let's say that Josie misses a late chance in an April game and they tie instead of win. I hope that like the medical staff get interviewed and say, yeah, Josie didn't do good enough today. Like he, we, that's just not good enough. I'm disappointed in him today. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's unlikely that he gets moved. I, I, I don't. I think it'd be a dumb move for TFC to move on because of some public criticism. Deal with it mm-hmm. in house. Don't just let the player be. Anyway, there you go. Tom makes his Uncle Sam soccer doc. Uh, Uncle Sam soccer podcast debut. Little feisty. Let us know what you think of the situation in Toronto and how big of tr- how big in trouble is Toronto with the loss of Michael Bradley. And that re- return date, when is it going to come? How will Michael Bradley be? Let us know at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. You can even email us at Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts. Anyway, up next, let's get to the controversy in LA over Chicharito's retirement comments. <laughs> Alrighty, boys, let's talk some Chicha Rito. He had some very controversial, I guess, well, people took it as controversial comments uh, earlier this week when the vlog of him having this phone call, this conversation with his dad announced or telling his father he's going to leave Sevilla for LA Galaxy and MLS. And Chicharito essentially stated to his father, this is the, this is the beginning of my retirement. And that got 
soccer Twitter on fire. I set it on fire a little bit because what do you, some of these MLS haters refer to MLS as? A retirement Fired. league. Retirement league. There you go. Retirement league. And that, like I said, that set soccer Twitter uh, ablaze. So, first of all, guys, what, I mean, like, did, did, did anybody, did either of you see that video and think, ooh, this is this is a bad look for Chicharito? Well, you sent it to me, and you're <laughs> like, we, we kind of looked at it, and we're like, yikes. And then you said, wait, you got to watch the full thing. Right, because I had the initial reaction uh, that everybody did, too. I saw it, and I was like, oh, geez, like, this is... Uh... This is some bad PR for uh, MLS, where, where you have a player essentially stating, oh, "I'm gonna. This is the beginning of my retirement." Yeah, I'm generally cynical about most things, uh, particularly uh, like the Mexican media is known to be a very difficult one. Part of the reason why Carlos Vela isn't playing for the national team. Um, so I'm generally cynical when I see headlines like that that seem like they're sensationalized, and obviously it turns out that this one was. Yeah. Well, so. You know, the the big silver lining I take for the, from this is here's you had Ibrahimovic come to the Los Angeles Galaxy, and he basically decided, I'm just going to take two massive poops on this league. I do not want to waste my time anymore or any longer in this league in this uh, for this club. And here comes Chicharito, a complete change of pace when it comes to the uh, to the literally, st- <laughs> yeah, yeah, to the style of how Ibrahimovic carries himself on and off the uh, off the field to Chicharito. A lot of us welcome, but then and then inadvertently Chicharito cr- creates the same massive drama the Twitter that the soccer world had to. Now he went on Alexi Lawless's. Uh, or he was interviewed by Alexi Lawless, and he had comments on this retirement things. And we're, we're, I want to go through it because I think he says a lot of good stuff regarding MLS, Liga MX, what he's going to bring to the Galaxy. So we're going to break that through for this segment. And listeners, let us know how excited are you for Chicharito? Because I think uh, I am. this was one of my favorite players watching at Manchester United when he, when he spent his time there. I, I love Chicharito. Jake, Tom, I don't know about you two, but I'll ask Tom first. Where would you rate Chicharito as far as growing up and watching him and just seeing him with Manchester United and then obviously spending some time with Real Madrid? I'm a Liverpool fan, so at every turn I tried to mentally play down his uh, achievements. They're like, ah, you know, he's not that good. Oh, all he is is a poacher. He doesn't do anything else or whatever. You know, when he left United, you, you could start to appreciate him a little bit more. He's going to be awesome in MLS. He's he's an awesome player. He's clearly motivated, like, disregard whatever the, the miscommunication, I suppose, or the misinterpretation of, of his, you know, sincere moment with his father, who's also a former professional, about the whole retirement thing. Um, you know, he's motivated. He's not coming here to be about Chicharito. And like that, as you alluded to, that he's just the inverse of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic when it comes to personality, like, Chicharito, all he does is talk. He's talking about winning the entire time. He barely said I at his like uh, introduction press conference. You know, I I think he's just going to be fantastic. Jake, this is better for the league, right? You did not like how Ibrahimovic would rip on on the league, and now you have Chicharito who's wanting to promote the league, saying it's good. Look, look, basically, people in Liga MX down in Mexico should be really worried about what is happening with Major League Soccer. 
Yeah, I mean, all the guys on the internet who took what Chicharito said earlier this week about it's the beginning of my retirement were the same people who took all of Zlatan Ibrahimovic's comments and said, see, see, see what he's saying? This is why MLS sucks. This is why U.S. soccer sucks. And I just thought that all those comments Zlatan made painted, painted a very bad picture of the league for people who weren't fans of MLS or were casual fans of MLS. And I think his comments gave people a reason to not watch MLS, especially when he's making comments about Carlos Vela. When I when I was Vela's age, I was playing at AC Milan. He's playing at LAFC. Look at me. Look at me. I have slots on Ibrahimovic. So I think it's very refreshing that uh, Chicharito is trying to, de- I don't want to know if deflects the right word, but trying to say, no, no, this isn't the beginning of my retirement. I didn't come here to retire. I came here to win championships. Um, and right. he talks about how nobody in Mexico wants to admit that MLS is up and coming and no one wants to look at what they're doing here. You know, and all the great things well, this league is doing. Let's get to the audio. Doctor, my first question, a very important question. How are you enjoying your retirement? Is it going well? I knew, I knew that question and I, I answered about that in Spanish and I couldn't do it in English that, I mean, guys, come on, you know that it's the beginning of the retirement, not because of the league. It's because I have 31 years old. What, what do you want me to say? When, I, when I'm 20, you want me to say, what? I want to retire, and now when I'm 32, I'm going to say, no, it's still 40 years to go to play. I haven't seen one player, well, one in Japan, that he's been playing 53 years old in the whole history. Don't you love how he brings up the, the player that's 50 and playing in Japan? It's it's a good line. He did his research. He was well prepped. His 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 PR team, whatever, told him like, here, give it, cite them this example. But on on a serious note, does he have a point? Thirty one. He has to kind of look towards the end and kind of set up his life. Where do I want to be? I mean, he's still in his prime. I mean, I get it. I I, I the way that I interpret all of this is that. It's, it's true. Just the European phase of his career is over, and I, like, there's there's no harm in that, and that that's not an indictment of yeah, like Galaxy, and that's not an indictment of MLS. Like I, I don't know. I, I think that it's this is a lot being made of of one line, and it wasn't you know the focus or the purpose of that video. Like sure, yeah. people are completely missing the point, and thankfully a lot of a lot of people around like MLS uh, Twitter circles was, were saying like look. Look at how awesome this video was! Like, look at how like it was a moment that he was share, he shared with the world that he had with his dad. Like, it was touching. It was, he was introspective. He was he was deep, and people were like, "Ah, oh, you said retirement. Ah, oh, you you suck. MLS sucks." <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Ibrahimovic <laughs> went and, ah. and then they and then they followed up that comment, Tom, with the hashtag ProRel for USA. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, no. I I mean I agree with Tom. I agree with Tom there. I, I don't know. I I, I, I find this what, like everything Chicharito has been saying so far in light of what has happened. I just kind of I just I Isn't find it a little honest? more refreshing. It's honest. It's honest. It's honest. Right. It's refreshing, and it, and it's it it. Uh, I, I feel like in in today you know just sports in general you don't get too many moments like that where you get just an honest moment. I mean, Tom, you know it better than you know Stephen or I do. I mean, sometimes when you're interviewing players, you just get the cliche after cliche or whatever BS answer constantly. This is uh, this is refreshing. Yeah, again, it was really cool. I mean, and you know, I don't, it, it's just one of those things, like, if you don't hear it, then it wasn't made for you. Like, if you're going into that and, like, you're looking for a reason to, to get mad about something and, like, yeah. you're, just, you're just completely missing the point. Well, he, he has some more good stuff to say. 
that he didn't retire. I'm closer to retire. Even if I uh, decide to stay in Europe, if I was 31, 32, 33. But you're a smart man, right? You well, understand the word retirement. I, I you understand the reaction, it, right? Exactly. I understand the reaction, but I, I, but I'm not in the same. I don't. I don't support that that way of thinking because. A war is a war, and why you you take it in the in the negative extreme? There's another positive extreme too. Imagine if I will decide to go to Mexico as well, and if I say the same one, the, the Liga MX is not like a retirement league in in Latin America, right? So it's just I'm close to it. The thing is, when you say something, it's like people is a very thin skin, so you need to like overexplain, overexplain, overexplain like like onions. Take all of them, so all the layers. Thank you, Chicharito. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh. That's such common sense. People take things out of context. Obviously, he says people are thin-skinned, but then he he's completely right. Then you have to sit here and spend two hours explaining to the person what you really meant. Like I think Chicharito should have said, "Look, it's not what I meant." And now he he's trying to like explain it over and over. And I think in some people some people could take this in the negative and go like, "Look, he's spending two hours trying to justify himself." But frankly speaking, as we mentioned, he's honest about the situation with his father. Making the leap to Major League Soccer at his age, just like it was for Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, Carlos Vela, you name any other player, it's it's a risk because MLS is still somewhat of an unknown. And it's also an opportunity. It's a different opportunity. You talk, I'm sure, Tom, you've talked to a lot of players who, who come from other parts of the world and, and they marvel at the opportunity to live in America, to play in this growing league and have this opportunity to play football in a, in a different context and grow something. Yeah, and I agree with that, but I, I even think that that's going one step too far because Chicharito is not playing for the Galaxy because he wants, he specifically because he wants to live in Los Angeles. Like, it's just the next move for his career. Like, yeah, he, how many clubs has he played for in Europe over the past, whatever, five years between... Leverkusen and um, West Ham, Sevilla, West Ham, yeah, yeah. Madrid, United. It's he had, he had a, a good season in Leverkusen, and then he went to West Ham, and he didn't get consistent playing time. When he played, he scored goals, and then he moved to Sevilla, and and over half a season, he he didn't get much of any playing time. And and as of a couple weeks ago, he was hopeful to still like fight for his place and break into the team. And then another striker came back from injury. And Chicharito, one game wasn't even on the bench, and another game was an unused sub, and another forward went in. So, like, it was a couple weeks ago where he was like, all right, like, it's not going to work out for me at Sevilla. So, if you're, if you're him, like, what are you going to do? Go to another, like, mid-table, a slightly better than mid-table Liga team? Or go to another, like, top-half Bundesliga team? And, like, what's the point of doing that again and again and again at that point? Like, why, why wouldn't you come for a new challenge? Right. All right, let's, let's continue here. He's got one more good stuff regarding uh, MLS and Liga MX. So they can understand. This is not the league of retirement. That's why I came, because if, if I was, I would be honest, I'll tell you, yes, probably 20 years ago when they was building it, yes. But right now, I always, I even tell it, this league is growing so much. And I said it before as well, when I was in, in Sevilla, when I did everything, the presentation, this league is growing so much and my country doesn't want to see it and doesn't want to learn from it. Because in this period of time, MLS is growing so much comparing what Mexican League is, has grown in the same period of time. So I understand what the word means. I completely understand. But I didn't came to retire. The only thing is I'm close to retirement. Of course, it's like even LeBron. LeBron has one of the best. Uh... I don't know, guys. Do you, do you sense the worry down 
from the Mexican Federation, Liga MX, regarding MLS? Or is Chicharito here just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to spin this even more positive and just kind of put myself into a, a good grace? Um, that I, I kind of feel towards the end there he was fluffing it a little bit. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I mean, maybe you can look... I don't know. It, it's it's so hard to say. Cause I, it it almost seemed like he over explained it. You know, like over justified his comments. Like, look, right, I'm gonna right. look at how great MLS is. I'm even gonna go as far as as to take a dump <laughs> on League MX and just say this. Like, they don't want to admit how great MLS is and whatever. You can have your opinions on where MLS ranks and <laughs> between League MX and, and and MLS itself. But it just to me, it almost felt like he was fluffing it up a little bit. I'm not sure if you two felt that same way. You put it perfectly. I, 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 I like that take. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know we're up against it, but Tom, I really want to get your take on this. The dynamic that Chicharito brings to the Galaxy and what he wants to accomplish at the Galaxy and what he's going to represent is going to be such a, cl- a, mis- uh, a gigantic different uh, understanding from the fan to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Here's what he said to Alalas when he was asked, what does he bring to the league? Why they should come and watch Chicharito play? Why? Because if you like football, and if you like a guy who gives everything every single time, you're going to see a lot of passion. You're going to see a lot of conviction. You're going to see a lot of, of confidence about what he believes. So you're going to see that in the pitch. And then... Of course, he's going to try to score as many goals as he can, obviously, but you will see that that that's pure passion. You know, when, when you see horses uh, uh, running over there in competitions and you see that passion of just running, 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 that's what you're going to see in Javier. All right. Well, I hope you do well on the field and I hope you enjoy your time here. I hope that. Yeah. Do, do we... This is going to be a whole different style or and go, game plan for the Galaxy now that they have a player that seems to be committed to the game plan and also not one player who's going to dump on his own play, players midway through the game. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be completely different. It'll be fun to watch the Galaxy defend 11-on-11 11 11 again. It'll be <laughs> fun to see what Guillermo Barrascalotos actually does with his tactics because he caught a lot of flack even dating back to his time with Boca that his, he was really good at, you know, like his tactics were like simplistic and he was good at trying to put his best players in good positions and giving them the freedom to play. And last year he caught it because he, no matter what he did, they couldn't stop conceding goals. This year we're going to find out if he, if he really is a good tactician or not, because yeah. last year, what, what can you do if you're playing? Like you can't press. And even when you're sitting deep, you're not getting anything from your number nine at all. And going forward, you're lumping crosses into the box because it looks like that Zlatan's going to burn a hole through you with your eyes, with his eyes, if, if you don't throw him a hopeless long ball. You know, like well, even does, the, even if you be... throw that hopeless ball, he's going to burn burn a hole through your heart because it's not quote yeah. unquote world class. He gets angry yeah. either way. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Jake, final thoughts here with Chicharito and his out of take co- comments taken out of context and what he said to Alalas. No, I just think, uh, yeah, it, like I said, I think it's refreshing. I think, like I said, U.S. soccer wanted a reason that 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 side of U.S. soccer Twitter or the Internet wanted a reason to be angry at MLS. And they grasped onto 
this and point made made, made the retirement league thing brought that whole Hashtag thing back pro into play. right Hashtag pro Ralph USA. I, I will say, I, and we talked about this earlier this week in text message between uh, us three, is I think that with LA Galaxy, when you don't have, when you have a player like Chicharito, who doesn't sound like he's the guy who's going to dump all over his teammates in the league and everybody like Zlatan would, I think you can you can say tactics aside, like tactics aside, I think that is just a, a positive for the LA Galaxy is that players don't feel as though uh, they're not good enough to be in the same field with Chicharito like they probably felt uh, playing uh, alongside Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So I think that'll be a huge plus for the Galaxy this season. Absolutely. All right, now up next, we'll be talking about some of the best players in Major League Soccer. Who are they? Why? Hey guys, quick question for you two. Completely off topic, but did you see, uh, I believe it was for Celtic, they had a 16-year-old uh, play in the game uh, this past weekend, and there's a photo of the 16-year-old next to the 26-year-old, and it looks like the 26-year-old could be his dad. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. It's, it's, you have to look at it twice, and you're like, wait, that guy... First of all, the 16-year-old, yeah. uh, I'm trying to pull up the names here. I unfortunately am slacking with the names but the 16 year old listeners looks like he could be a ball boy or could be the son of the player it is unbelievable uh well how kind of on the same subject here how old did the the uh the the, the polish guy the uh, fire bringing in here uh i believe he's like in his early 20s but he looks like he's you could say like maybe early to mid 40s <laughs> have you guys have you guys seen that Ooh. I, I can't. I have to pull up his name. Sorry, this is also like uh, this is just bad podcasting in general. Somebody, I saw, somebody made a comment on Twitter that I thought it was really funny of assigning the Chicago Fire's man. I thought he was uh, Polish. Might have been Barrick. Um, <laughs> where they basically said, uh, <laughs> "Can't tell if this guy is like forty some odd years old or in his early twenties." I just thought it was it was really funny. Like he did, just like that 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 typical like, Eastern European face. Like God, that guy just looks super old. I'm sorry to be like rude to Eastern Europeans. I don't mean to do that, okay, well, but I just go. remember seeing that, and it kind of it kind of reminds me of the Celtic talk here with the 16 year old. Yeah. Well, 16 year old Karma Moko Dembele and 26 year old Christopher Julian showed their 
they sh- uh, showed the club supporters love after a W, and they're clapping. But they, first of all, there's like two feet of a height difference, and then the 16 year old looks so young. I mean, congratulations for playing at Celtic at 16. But my goodness, I looked at the photo. I was like, this can't be real. This is Photoshop. But no, it wasn't. And uh, yeah, so we were supposed to talk about the best players in Major League Soccer, but I actually wanted to comment on this because we're a little bit short on time in this segment. MLSsoccer.com, Andrew Weeby, or is it Weeb? Weeby. Weeby had uh, his top 10 DPs all time, and he has Chicharito number two behind David Beckham. Or biggest signings. Is Chicharito that big of a signing? Or does it really depend on what he does on the pitch? Both, yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that Weeby wrote this at, at you know the time of their signings. Like, obviously, that's why Joseph Martinez isn't there. This this isn't best signings. This isn't biggest. Uh, yeah, this is biggest yeah. signings. But yeah, it's a completely different um, discussion. And and yeah, I mean, I generally agree with him. You know, we could split hairs on that pretty much. It, it obviously won David Beckham, and, and that's not up for debate. And then after that, like, I, personally, I, I'd agree with Weeby. I'd, I'd have Chicharito down at number two, especially in front of Zlatan. Like, while Zlatan is, is more of a global brand, like, Chicharito is just so perfect for this league and that city. Yeah, in that city, it works. I, I just think the Ibrahimovic signing is just a little bit bigger still. I really do. I think... He brought a lot of eyeballs to the league, world worldwide. Chicharito brings a different audience to the league. He ignites a lot of the people who already watch the league. But Ibrahimovic and Chicharito are two different. I just think Zlatan is is number two on this list that Weeby has behind David Beckham and everyone else. You can stack however you want. I I don't care. I just I I just find it striking that Chicharito is the second biggest signing the league has ever seen. I guess also because he's 31 and they signed right. him for eight or ten million dollars, whatever the the fee ended up being. You know, Zlatan came on on a free transfer when he was 37. You know, like so. I, I think that's why it, it would it would tip it to Chicharito for me. Yeah, I I I agree with you know you know Chicharito being behind Beckham and being in front of Zlatan. I don't have any problems with that. Uh, yeah, Zlatan definitely is a global brand or a more global brand than Chicharito, but I think the Chicharito signing, like Tom said, for this league, for this country, and that market, I think is uh, he, he's, it's it's such a bigger signing than Zlatan in my eyes. I mean, I mean, think of all the Mexican Americans or the Mexican national team fans that are going to be watching MLS now because of Chicharito. Zlatan wasn't tapping into that. Yeah, but Zlatan I've heard, I've heard, into... Jake, from our listeners who've DM'd us and who send in messages, I've heard mixed results on whether or not he actually taps into the Mexican American Spanish audience because some people have mixed opinions about it. As as Tom alluded to earlier in the show, the Mexican media and the treatment of Mexican stars, it's it's very touch and go. Obviously, Carlos Vela being prime example. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I and mean, even with with all this, like, like we're sp- at the end of it, we're splitting hairs here. Whether we're calling the, the second or third biggest sign, and like, you know, again, that's I generally lean Chicharito, but I'm not gonna die on this hill if 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 you know, I, I won't call you an idiot for having slots on too. Right. You know what no. I mean? So, but Tom, then what impact does Chicharito make? Does he bring in more of a TV audience that the league so 
that craze because the TV deal is coming up here. Yeah, so it's it's not just more viewers. It's the market that, you know, is so valuable is the Mexican-American market because, you know, you, you can look at all of the TV ratings. Like, Liga MX games still outpace even the Premier League in, in TV ratings in this country. You know, like, the more the more the more that you get that viewership on an MLS it's going to be huge and that's why that there's it makes all sense that MLS and Liga MX are are pairing for various things like League's Cup you know Mex uh, Liga MX wants you know the structure stability and the American market um that comes with that any type of partnership or whatever and and MLS wants you know those fans to get hooked on on their league and and I think Chicharito like uh the Galaxy said that in the time, the first four or five days, whatever it was, after the club signed Ibrahimovic and Chicharito, season ticket sales went up from Chicharito double to Ibrahimovic. I didn't say that very well, but essentially Chicharito sold more tickets than, than Ibrahimovic, sold more season tickets than Ibrahimovic. Right. Plus, I mean, think about it. Jake, he's, he's in the market. Where you have Carlos Vela and LAFC who, who've kind of dominated, well, dominated as far as the regular season goes. Now, up uh, you know matchups between the Galaxy and LAFC, uh, the results have been different. LAFC all obviously have the biggest win in, coming in the playoffs, the most important win, I should say. But uh, the Galaxy were also competing for headlines, for storylines in their own city with a competitor, what, 11, 13 miles down the road? Yeah, I mean they, they're they're competing for eyeballs within their own within their own city, so I mean Chicharito is going to do that. Chicharito is going to, like I said, we you know the Mexican American audience that they weren't watching Carlos Vela, maybe they'll watch Chicharito now. And, and like Tom alluded to, obviously there's a lot of a lot more interest in the Galaxy now than there was this time last year because season ticket sales are through the roof with this with this announcement. So. Uh, this is a massive signing for the league. This is a massive signing for the, for the Galaxy. And uh, it's a massive signing for that Derby, too. That's going to be a super fun Derby to watch, I think, when they uh, play uh, later on this spring. But coming up next here on the show, we're going to talk uh, top 10 Americans in MLS. And later on, top 10 MLS players. Stay tuned.
Alrighty, listeners, at Unksam Soccer Pod. Question of the day. Question of the day. Who are the best 10 players in Major League Soccer? Let us know. And also, this is an important note you got to include. What is your metric? How are you judging these players by? Because Jake and I have a pretty big disagreement on when we talked about the 10 best players in Major League Soccer, and we judged it differently. And Tom, you have a whole different system that you put together when it come, came to the best players in Major League Soccer. Yeah, you guys start just so we don't uh, get confusing. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll start. Tom, chime in when you want. Because, Jake, you and I... Actually, you know what? Let's play a game. Let's play, actually, let's play a game here. Okay. Tom, we, you and I will go through our top ten lists, and then Tom can decide who has the better top ten list. How about that? <laughs> oh, no. And that way, Tom doesn't have to commit to making his own list. He can just say, hey, I think this list sounds better. Or, hey, you, 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 how does that sound, Tom? Does that sound better? Does that sound a little bit more political? Look, as long as I can just sit from above and judge you guys, I'm good with that. Yeah, go ahead. You can uh, judge judge away. Uh, do you <laughs> want me to start? I, I can start. Fine, go, Jake. Uh, uh, I mean, this was really no, in no particular order. I, I tried to do it best I could. Um, at the top of the list, it's Carlos Vela. I don't know how it, it can't be Carlos Vela. Um, after that, Joseph Martinez uh, down there in, in Atlanta. Three, and I know Steven kind of had, had allured to this uh, when talking about the biggest signings in MLS. I have Chicharito, even though he hasn't even kicked a ball yet in the league. I think uh, he has to be up there, right? Well, you can't not put LA him up Galaxy there. did spend a pretty penny for the guy. Real quick, let the record show, last year I wrote about the top number 10s in MLS, and I put P.T. Martinez at first. Yeah, that hadn't, hasn't aged well yet. Do we need to old takes expose you? <laughs> Hopefully not. I got to <laughs> a, a lot of uh, Seattle fans were very mad in the moment, so I, it wasn't even an old take at the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, for my list, NYCFC's Heber, five. Christian Pavone, six, Max Morales, seven, Diego Rossi, and then at eight, Eduard Atuesta, nine, Ike Opara, and rounding out the top ten, Diego Chara of the Portland Timbers. All right, well, Jake, you don't, you and I don't disagree. One, two, Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez. Then I have Maxi Morales, Chicharito, Charles Gil, Josie Altador. NYCFC's Herbert, Diego Rossi, Jordan Morris. Yes, he makes my list. And then Ike Opara. Obviously, he was he was voted one of the best defenders last season. But, Jake, you and I had a pretty big disagreement over the name Jordan Morris making my list for the simple fact that I'm judging Morris on his playoff performances. And you thought, I don't know if that's a fair metric whatsoever, but we live in a playoff system. We make a pretty big point in any American sport that it's what you do in the postseason that really counts, and when you can perform in the postseason, what you did in that regular season, eh, doesn't really that really matter. He, he oh uh, boy, he sacked up. <laughs> God, we have a uh, okay. So okay. I can't. The argument I want to use here, and I'm afraid to use it because I know who Tom's favorite football team is, and this guy has been in the news this last week, and I think he knows where I'm going with this. <sighs> Outside of two two playoff performances, would you look at Eli Manning and say that's an all time great or that's a Hall of Fame quarterback? I'm yes. gonna angrily hang up in a second. Tread lightly. Okay, no, no, but this is serious. This is a serious question. Like, like <laughs> he like, is. Just... He is Jake. He is a Hall of Famer. 
because was, of what? How many games? But he what? did in the postseason. He had unbelievable games, numbers. Because of just just literally just an eight game sample size is yeah. literally what the what Eli Manning's Hall of Fame case is is uh, based around, right? I mean, can we all kind of agree upon that? Like, you, no one's going to look at any of those other two. And, and, and if, if you take out those two seasons where they won the Super Bowls, you look at Eli Manning. You're never like average oh, quarterback. Uh, you never think, oh, he's just like his brother Peyton. You know, look. Eli Manning, he won two Super Bowls. He was great. He won the MVP. We stand Eli Manning on this podcast, Tom and I, because he <laughs> took down the Patriots. But I just think basing a player, like a ranking, or t- t- trying to tell me how great a player is because of the of a small sample size, because, oh, because when it's October, all of a sudden, you know, he plays really well. But for the previous six months, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying Jordan Morris is bad. But I just think we put way too much emphasis on on postseason performance instead of looking at the total body of work. And for me, he's just he falls outside the top ten. I, I I don't know. Like 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 where Tom, where do you fall on this category on this stance? Because me and Stephen have had this argument before on the show yeah. with regular season to postseason and and how I I, I like to look at the, the the whole picture. Because uh, we had this, I think we had this argument last year. Well, LAFC Vela. and then yeah. Seattle winning winning the cup. Yeah. And I, I, I like the whole body of work, but Steven just prefers the, the playoffs. So well, where do you stand on this? Yeah, well, I'll give you my reason for, for quickly, Tom, is if, if, if we're going to put an emphasis on playoffs, then we're going to make that matter. Then we should judge head more heavily what the performance is in the playoffs. That's, that's my argument. But where, where are you on, the, on this thing? And when we judge go. MLS players, how do we judge them from regular season to postseason, their performances? Yeah, I mean, I'm generally kind of in between you guys. Like, I, I definitely think you have to lay the playoff stuff. But, you know, small sample sizes can be cruel. Like, Carlos Vela had, was not very good in uh, this year's uh, the loss to Seattle. Like, he was good against the Galaxy. But, you know, if, if you're going to do the, the whole playoff thing, like, he, he wasn't great against Seattle. But, you know, obviously nobody's doubting that he's had the best season in league history last year, even though that he ended the same thing with uh, Eddie Atuesta. Like, he... He was awful against Seattle, you know, like it, it, but that doesn't change the fact that he was one of the best players in the league last season. So, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. And, and I, I tend to, you know, if this happens three years in a row for Atuesta, then you can, you can start to like really make conclusions. If, if this happens three years in a row with Jordan Morris, where he absolutely comes alive in the playoffs, then, then yeah, it, it's a thing. But also Morris, like the second half of his season, he was awesome. Like he was one of the best wingers in the league. Like after he came back from the Gold Cup, and, and he was very good at the Gold Cup too. So, um, I wouldn't put him in my top ten for sure. But I, it is more than just one hat trick against FC Dallas. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, Tom, let's get to your best eleven um, for more of a positional balance. You have Bill Hamid in goal over Fry or, or who and a, and a Turner. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I'm I'm just gonna be that annoying dude who just rejects the construct. And, and, and instead of answering the question you asked me, I'm gonna answer the question that I I wish I was asked. Uh, so I, I went creating problems already on show number uh, what <laughs> 50 minutes into the show. Unbelievable. Well, actually, it was more like six minutes in the show. Whatever. Go. <laughs> but yeah, but, but I mean, I, again, there is no standalone goalkeeper. Like I voted Matt Turner for goalkeeper of the year last year, but I, I mean, man. I I didn't think that. Um, Vito Minone was the best keeper in the league, but I, you know, I, I didn't lose any sleep over him winning it. Like there's, there's like a handful of keepers that, like, you know, whether it's Bill Hamid, Stephen Fry, even Turner, you know, Sean Johnson. Like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like I could see that. 
So, I mean, just for me, I went with Hamid. Like, I value shot stopping as my key value for a goalkeeper, which is weird in, in this day and age because uh, players like, you know, Kepa for Chelsea gets bought because he's good at playing the ball with his feet, even though he's a below average shot stopper. Because, you know, right. why would goalkeeper stop shots? I, I just think that Bill Hamid, um, and same thing with Matt Turner, just two incredible shot stoppers. Turner, Turner, I mean, in, in large part, kept the Revs alive last season. He was the reason yeah. why they were doing well. Yeah, and, and inexplicably, Brad Friedel gave him the job in 2018. He played really well. Then he went into 2019 as the third string keeper. I don't understand. Like, it's one of the many things I was confounding about the Brad Friedel era. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake, what, what award did I give him a couple years ago, Brad Friedel? Uh, we made up, uh, Tom, if you're not aware, we, uh, Steven made up a bunch of mid-season awards and didn't want to just do your traditional mid-season award, like mid-season MVP and rookie of the year yeah, and stuff stupid? like that. So <laughs> Steven made up his all, Steven made up his own awards. Uh, and one of them was the FU award, <laughs> yeah. which was, uh, given to Brad Friedel because, well, what, what was the reasoning? Well, at the time? because the I, think, I think actually were... both, I think Bro- you and I actually both gave it to Brad Friedel. Yes. It was the beginning part. Of the tenure that went well for Brad Friedel with the Revolution when they were, I think, fourth or fifth in Rest. in the E's with the Revs, yeah, and then it, it tanked. That that was a uh, really old takes exposed. Um, <laughs> so, Tom, we could pro- we could probably touch about the mile. Uh, never mind. Actually, I was to say, can you talk about the center backs? Who are the better ones in? Uh, Major League Soccer. You have a couple names here listed. Zimmerman, Ziegler, Opara. Yeah. Well, that was just for my, you know, air quote, you know, others sure. receiving. Right. Like, for, for center backs, Miles Robinson and Ike Opara. And I don't want this to sound like recency bias either because they were 1-2 in Defender of the Year voting last year. But, like, Miles Robinson is legit. Like, he's awesome. Like, I, I rate him ahead of, you know, Zimmerman and Ziegler. But, you know, those are also two very good players. But, you really? know, Opara... Going to the unquestioned number one uh, center back in the Let league. Let me ask you with Zimmerman. I often get the sense, especially at FC Dallas, he did call, he did make quite a bit of uh, boneheaded mistakes. Zimmerman, <laughs> he, he he's good, but something's missing with him. Do you ever yeah. think he, he can get that out of his mind and really become an elite center back that a lot of people thought he would be uh, coming you know, into his later 20s? I think he is an elite center back in this league right now. I mean... Like I don't think it's an indictment that he that he might not be first choice with the national team. Like Ike Parr has been with the national team since like before his injuries. You know, like same thing with Stefan Fry. Like Bill Hamid until this this month. Like it's weirdly not necessarily like indictment. Like just because Zimmerman isn't anchoring the national team, uh, and and just because he hasn't made a move to like Germany or England. Like, like I, I I think in MLS he's he's a very very good center back and definitely one of the top five in the league. Okay, that's fair. And then your outside backs are Anton Tinnerholm and Kamara Lawrence. It was uh, Anton Tinnerholm was straightforward. Obviously, I just think that, and, and and I'm not putting Gressel in the right back category because I don't think that'd be fair. Uh, so it, Anton Tinnerholm is pretty much uh, clear cut number one. Left back, I kind of uh, agon, agonized over it a little bit because Kamara Lawrence wasn't great last year in dealing with injuries and whatnot. But I, I think like on his day and he has enough track record to prove that, that he's a consistent performer, that, that he's the best left back in the league. But, you know, Kai Wagner and Ryan Hollingshead are, are two guys that, you know, again, I, I, I wouldn't die on this hill. Like it, it's right. not the take that, that I'm going to go to the grave with, you know, our, uh, our 
Armand Kafai has been calling for a Hollingstead to get an opportunity with the the national team yeah. uh, since since there there was a hole last season. But moving on, uh, final, just give us uh, your midfield and strikers just straightforward. Uh, Edward Atuesta at DM, Jonah Dos Santos at number eight, Nico Ladero as number ten, and then Velo Rossi on the ring on the wings, and Joseph up top. There you go, uh, and uh, Jake. You have any problems with Tom's best eleven? It's our chance to no, kind of roast. No, I mean, him. I, I, uh, no, I, I'm not going to roast Tom. I mean, he clearly knows way more about this league <laughs> than I do, so I don't feel like I'm in any position to be, to be roasting him Brilliant. about anything. My, my question to Tom is because he never gave us an answer. Who, uh, Stephen or I? Who had the better top yeah, ten? That, there we go. That's a way good, good way to end the segment. That, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm gonna go with Jake. Because I respect the fact that you have two defensive midfielders and a center back in that. Oh, you can't. You, you just can't base your rankings off goals. You just can't do that. I'm sorry. You gotta. You gotta have some defensive players in there. And that's. Um, what do we say? What, what do we say so much about this league? What like what like if you have a dominant number six, you're probably a really good team, right? Isn't that kind of yeah. just the rule of thumb yeah. in MLS? You need a really good number six to be a really good team. Look, yeah. man, I've watched so much Minnesota United since they came to MLS. And before Ozzy Alonso never had a good number six, they were just dreadful defensively. And Grant, they went and got Ikepara too uh, this uh, last offseason. But you bring Ozzy Alonso in that mix, it just short up everything. Everything's much better. You gotta you gotta have respect for your for the the the, the, the number sixes, those dirty guys that get in there. You know they they need some respect. They need some loving. That's why I had to put that to Weston Char on the list. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. There you go. Hey, up next we're gonna talk about. A trade that happened in Major League Soccer. It was a big one. Julian Gressel heading to D.C. United. Tom was on top of that story. Plus, and for a brief moment, we'll look at that Greg's Brawlhalter's uh, decision in, with his roster in the friendly against Costa Rica. We'll be back shortly. And we're back for one final segment here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. And listeners, question of the day. Who 
are the best 10 players in MLS right now. Let us know on Twitter at Pod. But, Tom, we had a big trade earlier this week with Atlanta United sending Julian Gressel to DC United. What can you tell us about that deal, and how did it go down? Yeah, so um, Atlanta United have, have been in contract negotiations with Julian Gressel for the better part of the last year. Their first uh, bona fide offer to him was, uh, was a, almost a year ago, or was a year ago, it was last January. And it just kind of became apparent over the last few months that they weren't going to find common ground. From people I've, I've talked to, it, 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 it just kind of became clear that Julian's future was going to be outside of Atlanta, you know, barring a last-minute change. And there's no ill will from Russell and them. Like he preferred to stay with Atlanta United, but he also wanted to get paid what he deserved. You know, he's been on a rookie contract for the last three years, putting up essentially like DP um, production. So it just it made sense for everybody that that there was a natural break here. Um, Atlanta got a, got an awesome deal, getting up to 1.1 million in Pam. Grassel's getting his new deal, and he's, he's he's super excited to be at a team where obviously you're you're, you're juice that they thoroughly believe in him to, to trade yeah. so much occasion plus give him a new deal. So he's at DC United. Um, from the people I've spoke to around the league, they everyone kind of said that it was you know. Atlanta got a lot, a lot of allocation, but nobody really went as far to say that you know DC United vastly overpaid or this was a bad deal. Um, so they it, thought it, it, it was a solid, a solid trade. Yeah, because like again, nobody's doubting how good Julian Gressel is. Um, the way that it was explained to me, which I, I think is best, is that you have to think about it because it's allocation money rather than it's like a transfer fee because it's an in league move. You have to think about it as he's like going to count towards the cap as like one and a half players because that Tam that they traded to Atlanta, obviously they can't use that to buy anybody down. And now that he's getting a contract extension, he's a Tam player in and of himself. So you do that deal. One, if you have the allocation, enough allocation money in the bank that, that you're willing to part with. And two, as, as, that you feel strong about the rest of your team, which they do, particularly after, you know, their, their last two windows, they've quietly moved on from Wayne Rooney and Lujo Costa like pretty well. I mean, I guess we'll, uh, the jury's still out until we find out what it looks like on the field. But, I mean, on paper, I feel like they've done a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, d- just to recap exactly what Atlanta gets. They get 650000 in 2020 worth of TAM, another 100000 in 2021. Then, uh, barring certain metrics that Gressel meets with DC United, they could get upwards of 350000 in TAM. So that there you get over the $1 million. And, yeah, I guess, Tom, it, it sounds like this wasn't a shocking trade for a lot of people in the league as Atlanta and Gresso have been in talks over this contract for, for I guess, what you're saying is well over a year. Yeah, so, year. like, it, it was it was surprising just because that, that it happened. No matter, no matter what, it, it was going to be a big deal because it's a blockbuster trade, honestly. But, you know, it wasn't like it came out of nowhere, you know. Even Gretzel has been public about the, the contract dispute. I mean, he wasn't, you know, unprofessional. Or, but if he asked about it, he, he would politely say no comment while saying, you know, I don't want to talk about it because I'm going to get annoyed. So it's it's been like a poorly kept secret that that this has been going on, and so it makes sense that, that the deal ended up happening. And then again, from who I've talked to, like a couple teams, even over the summer, kicked the tires on on possibly a trade. And Atlanta have been asking for at least a million at all time, and and they found somebody to pay it. So, uh, Tom, 
what's Atlanta going to go for here? Now they have all this money. Do they pull the strings for someone else, or do you think they're going to stand pat and, and kind of run with what they got? So, yeah, I mean, they're they're going to make a couple more additions, um, but they already did bring in Brooks Lennon, who I guess it would be a light version of Julian Gressley. He can do a lot of the similar things. He's a front-footed um, wingback, fullback, winger, you know, versatile like Gressel was. Um, and we'll see if, if he can thrive more with uh, Atlanta than he did with RSL. And he was fine with RSL. He was good with RSL. It's just that, you know, Gressel, again, is one of the best players over the last few years, particularly in chance creation. But Atlanta are definitely going to bring some players in. Carlos Bocanegra said that they want to bring in another number eight, even though they have already, you know, permanently acquired Emerson Heinemann. And some of this TAM, you'd imagine, is going to go to buying down that deal because there was a transfer fee and he's on a significant contract. So some TAM will go there and then hope, as they hope, if they land their top target, uh, more TAM will go to, you know, another Darlington Nagby uh, replacement. Okay, I got a question for both of you guys. No, no. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Anytime Jake uh, says he has a question, it's always bad news. Not, not really a question, but a thought. I, I, maybe, well, maybe it's a question, too. We'll see how I phrase it. <laughs> uh, am I the only one who thinks that so much hype is being made about this Julian Gressel move, but nobody's talking about LGP? I feel like that kind of got swept under the rug a little bit. Do you guys feel the same? Yeah, that's a good point. And, but I guess because that Atlanta got their replacement center back from Liga MX like an hour later. So like, I, I think that one was more straightforward, I guess, but like still, I, I yeah, you're right. It, it, it's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, I, the funny thing with Atlanta is they, they seem to be wielding and dealing. Uh, what's the term, Jake? Sorry. Wheeling and dealing. Wheeling and dealing. Like, I mean, every off season Atlanta's in the headlines for a major move. The, why is, Tom, just, you're obviously way more connected than we are. Is Atlanta just at the forefront with this, just understanding the soccer mar- market and just wanting to continuously improve? Or is it just the fact that uh, that other clubs are just slower to react or are a little more conservative in their approach when it comes to signing and, and trading players or making moves? I put LAFC there in the, in the, the transfers part considering the fact that they have – they signed over the last two windows four players who were standouts at the U20 World Cup, which is awesome. But um, Atlanta, I guess that this is just what happens when success breeds this. Every year you have a lot of players o- overplaying their deal. And uh, LGP, uh, like Bocanegra explained it that, you know, it's like what sucks about a salary cap is that you can't pay everybody. Like we, right. he, he said, you know, te- teams around the world, like when, when you succeed and players ask for new, deservingly ask for a new contract, you can pay them. Like they wanted, they, they would want to have paid LGP and Gressel theoretically, at least, or who knows if, if there wasn't a salary cap, maybe they wouldn't. Um, but um, yeah, they, they're just kind of hamstrung there. So LGP and his agent kind of said that, you know, they did, they, they weren't asking to leave. But there was an understanding that if a club came that could, you know, significantly uh, give him a raise, that they would be interested in pursuing that avenue. So Atlanta, you know, to their credit, kept their word and, and found a suitable deal for all parties. Well, well, boys, I mean, Atlanta United, they're always interesting uh, every off season. And speaking of interesting, <laughs> maybe uninteresting, I guess, depending on who you ask. 
this is also a very terrible segue. Greg Berhalter has named his 22-man roster out of their Costa Rica-friendly uh, this coming Saturday at 2.55 p.m. Central Time. And on that roster, we'll run through it quickly here. We only have a couple more minutes. Uh, Sean Johnson, Bill Hamid, and Matt Turner are your goalies. Uh, Julian Araujo, Reggie Cannon, Chase Gasper, Justin Glad, Aaron Long, Mark McKenzie, Sam Vines, and Walker Zimmerman are your defenders. And your forwards, Paul Areola, Jesus Ferreira, Jonathan Lewis, Yuli Yanez, and Jossie Zardes. Zardes. That's your boy, Jossie Zardes, my guy. He, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big, we stand Jossie Zardes in this podcast. Hey, Tom, and real quickly, I've got the midfielders. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where Brandon are they? Aronson, Christian Kappis, Brian Kyle, Sebastian Legette, Brandon Cervania, and Jackson Ewell make up the midfield. I forgot to copy and paste them onto the, onto the dock. I apologize. But there they are. That is the 22-man roster for the U.S. men's national team against Costa Rica later this week. And, Stephen, who are you looking forward to the most to to to, to see? Well, frankly, uh, I'm not that big in, big into this friendly when it comes off the January training camp. It's important, but I honestly don't really care for it that much. What I am, what I do worry about with this U.S. men's national team is: Are we getting the youth implemented into the system, and are they playing? And this is this is an important stat. Only two players have more than 20 caps on this roster. That is key. This is what you want to see in a meaningless friendly. Play the freaking kids. Because what is Greg Berhalter? What is the big thing around Greg Berhalter and this federation? They want to take their time. They want, they have a plan. Greg Berhalter has a plan. Okay? It's not going to happen overnight. He has this plan. W- apart from the World Cup qualifying, he has time. Really, this is a bill to 2022, but deep down, Alexi Lawless said it uh, several months ago. It's really about 2026. It's about when the World Cup gets hosted in this country. Do we have a team that can compete for the Final Four? And this is good. You have a bunch of kids, a bunch of youngsters, a bunch of newbies on this team, and hopefully they get some experience and they, they get comfortable and, and Burhalter can finally build his foundation. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, it's about building the foundation. Um, I'm I'm hoping that Greg Berhalter isn't just looking to 2026 and that there is a focus uh, to 2022. And, and Tom, looking at this roster, any surprises that jump out to you? Any guys that on, on this list that you uh, you weren't expecting to see? I mean, not really. And like you said, it's about kind of playing your kids. And the January camp is limiting as is because essentially it's just um, MLS guys. Um, with, with Yuli, he's with Wolfsburg's second team, so they obviously didn't mind letting him go because he's not missing any Bundesliga games. And, you know, he's going to get better experience here than rather with the, the second team or the youth team, rather. Uh, so it's it's limiting. I, don't, I just don't take I don't, don't take a ton of stock in it. Like, good things can happen. You can get meaningful takeaways. But and it's the same deal with Costa Rica. There no European-based players can play. So it's... I don't know. It's just it's a January camp. Like it's, it, it is what it is. It's fine, you know, but I'm not going to live or die based on this result. You really missed your chance to take a shot at Jossie's artist there. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I don't hate him. 
<laughs> I'm not, no, that's just I'm, you could just if you wanted to be like the rest of you know the internet and just take a shot at Jossie's artist. I, we gave you the chance. I'm just saying. It, 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 it's the low hanging fruit <laughs> again. It, I, like I was joking about before, it's all about expectations. What do you want from what? What are people realistically expecting? Like I don't understand. I think it's also a byproduct just of how shallow the the, the the talent pool is at uh, at that position too, which is kind of why you see Jossie's art as that's, every. That's the thing that pisses me off so much is that when people, like I've had this conversation with so many people where like I just you ask two questions and their the argument unravels. Everybody that that's crapping on Jossie's artist, tell me who you would play. Go ahead, like, name, name, like what do you want to do? Play Pulisic as a false nine? Like, are you really want Josh Sargent, who's bare, uh, not getting a ton of minutes with uh, in Germany, and he's not looking that great right now because he's still a kid? Like, go ahead, who would you want to play? I don't. Yeah, I don't Jake, who would you want to play, Jake? Huh, no, Jake. I, I, I actually I, no. Okay, I. If this wasn't the January camp, I think that you can probably have more of those discussions of who would you rather play. But, but it's January camp. You really can't have those discussions. I, I mean, look, it's some meaningless friendly. You're just more so looking to see what the kids do, I guess. I don't care yeah. if Jossie Zardes is there. If this was a competitive match, if this was a World Cup qualifier, I'm like, we are starting Jossie Zardes at, yeah, at striker. Be- like, we got some issues here. But then again... Goes back to this kind of goes back to the Michael Bradley versus Will Trap argument. Who the hell are you gonna play? <laughs> I mean, they're gonna bang the same exactly. drum that that. I mean, like, I I don't know. It, it is what it is. I mean, look, it, maybe if Josie Altidore's healthy, that's the guy you lean on, and that's fine. But we've said this multiple times. Armand has echoed this multiple times in the show in the past. This team has a lot of problems. Up top, if uh, if Josh Sargent doesn't pan out, yeah, I saw so, I saw a tw- yeah. I saw uh, a tweet. Uh, I don't know who it might have been. Soccer hooligans question: What was the biggest hole? And I think overwhelmingly people chose the, the strikers. Where are the goals going to come from? That's the biggest hole. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, listeners, let us know what you thought. Question of the day: Who are the best players? Ten best players in MLS. Maybe do it what Tom did. Just construct your best. Mm-hmm. 11 not 10 best 11 make it make it a little more challenging for yourself or you can just be lazy like Jake and I and just say here are the 10 best players who cares what position they play anyway listeners follow Jacob Jake Watroba give give Tom a follow at Tom Bogart he's got phenomenal content he's well connected with the league he breaks some news here and there and and his his work is fun to read Follow myself at Steven Jodderin, at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod, at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod, at gmail.com. And listeners, next week is the Super Bowl. We're not going to do a show during the Super Bowl because that would be dumb. But uh, we haven't decided if we're going to take it take it off or if we'll publish a podcast earlier in the day. So we haven't made up our minds. Anyway, if not, see you in two weeks or next week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Hungry, as in, I could eat a f***ing horse. Eat Street asks you to not, because while horses are a delicacy in some parts of the world, they're not in the parts you live. And they're huge, and could kick you in the face, making it awfully hard to eat. Eat Street's a smarter shortcut from hungry to happy, hooking you up with the falafel, fried rice, and fajitas you crave, delivered to your door, not on horseback. Hungry. Happy. Eat Street. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more 
like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Alpha Sale is here with 30% off Alpha and installation. The Container Store, where space comes from. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. 